G'day, Nath here. At risk of doing an introduction before the introduction, on behalf of Stewie and I, we just wanted to give a very sport blokes thank you again to Alex Loughton, Peter Hawley and Brad Rosen for their time and involvement in this episode. We spoke to Alex and then Pete not long before the draft and then spoke to Brad the day after the draft and all of them gave us time out of their busy schedules and did so out of the kindness of their own heart. So we cannot be more grateful for the efforts of these guys who have made this episode what it is. Thanks again, gentlemen. Great NBL commentators, even better blokes. Let's go. This week on The Sport Blokes. This week, we look back at the 2022 NBA draft and focus on the Australian and NBL prospects who had their names called. But don't just take our word. We got the help of three NBL media experts who have some stories you might not have heard yet. Oh, and great stories they are, Stewie. Let's go. It's 1.30 Western Australian time on Saturday the 25th of June and we have a very special episode once again, don't we, Shui? We sure do. So the NBA draft is now just over 24 hours old and we've been teasing the last month or so and we've finally arrived at our draft special. Greetings to you wherever you may be listening to us around the world today and thanks very much for chucking on the sport blokes, whether you're a regular listener or someone who's tuned in to get a bit of extra intel on your favourite NBA team's newest player. Now, obviously, we appreciate that there's a slew of stuff out there on the NBA draft in the podcast world, which seemingly increases exponentially every year. That's because of us. (laughs) So today we'll be focusing more on the Australian and NBL players because we've seen them the most and we can maybe offer some specific insights beyond what many other people can, particularly for those in North America or around the world, for example, who maybe haven't been watching the full NBL games and have relied more on highlights. And the tricky part about that is that these highlights are generally, what, three to five minutes? Often. And you're trying to sum up an entire season in that space where we've kind of been able to watch multiple games over the course of multiple months. Exactly. So we may not be as full bottle on the college players, but as far as the NBL is concerned, and people can go back and listen to all our coverage from the last couple of seasons, we've watched a lot. Highlights never tell the full picture. So obviously it's more than a little bit important to know how players fit in game situations, isn't it? Absolutely. But I just take our word for it. We've amassed nearly 500 combined games of NBL playing experience, and it's probably not a stretch to say nearly a thousand hours of combined broadcasting too, in enlisting the help of Brad Rosen, Peter Hawley, and of course, friend of the show, Alex Loughton. Not to say that the other two aren't friends of the show. But... Well, yeah, <laughs> I think you officially become a friend of the show when you join us more than once. Yes. So I hope, we'd love to have him on again. Now, our regulars might say, hold on, you've had Alex and Pete on the show in the last few weeks. This is indeed true. We'll have a standalone episode with Brad Rosen next week too. But we can assure you that all of the clips we're using on this show didn't appear in any of the previous episodes. So if you did happen to listen to them, and we'd certainly encourage you to do so if you haven't already, episodes 103 and 104, never fear, this episode is 100% new content. Now, obviously, if you're only interested in your team and you're a bit time poor, please check out the timestamps in the description and you can skip ahead to particular players. But there is a bit of crossover here and there, and it can be hard to discuss guys in a vacuum. So hopefully you'll enjoy the whole episode, ideally. And thankfully we're recording in a room and not a vacuum. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That, that would, would suck. Yeah. The <laughs> crap puns out early. It'd be very cramped in here as well. <laughs> now, given we have some more international listeners as well, they may not be all that familiar with our league, or even some of the NBA fans in Australia might not be as familiar with the NBL. So I think we probably need to set the context a little bit for some of our listeners who may not know anything about the NBL and the Next Stars program. Hey, Stewie. Yeah, I think it's incredibly important that people have that context. So just some some quick stuff on the NBL. So it's our national league that's been around since 1979. Some people may recognize the names Andrew Gaze and Shane Hill, who played in the 90s. Paddy Mills has played here more recently. Then there's been guys like Tory Craig who have gone over. So we have had some, some players come through our league. Another point to mention, it's important to note that the NBL here is Australia. It, you shouldn't be mixing it up with New Zealand's NZ NBL. I remember reading an article on a Spurs website pre-draft that referred to Usman Dieng as being from the New Zealand NBL, which is actually incorrect. The Australian NBL is much bigger. It's a much higher standard than the NZ NBL. However, to go along with the nine Australian teams, our 10-team league also includes a team from New Zealand. And of course, when it comes to New Zealand players, there's no one better than Kirk Penny, who had a decent little NBA career too and played for the breakers in the NBL. Oh, he was impossible to stop when he got hot. Yeah, oh yeah, when he got hot. So it's probably technically correct what they said, but they just kind of didn't really word it correctly. Well, I've also heard, I heard Kevin O'Connor talk about uh, playing in New Zealand, but of course, because of COVID, the New Zealand breakers haven't played a home game for two years. So he didn't even actually play in New Zealand. He played his games in Australia. Now, this is just nitpicking a little bit, but it's important context. Kevin (laughs) O'Fallacy. 
Now, the, the, uh, no Candyland there. No. No, good hats off to Kevin on the off chance he listens. Kevin, no correction. <laughs> now, the other thing to note, I guess, is that they're 10 minute quarters. They're FIBA rules. It is a much more physical game. Five fouls, not six. Five fouls, not six. The season is about 30 games in length. So when I say we've amassed uh, approximately 500 games of NBL experience, that might not sound like a lot when you think of NBA players when they play 82 games a season. But when you're only playing 30 games a season, that, that is a fair bit. So the other things I think is important to mention is stats. Now, we can look at stats, but without the context, it's maybe not all that useful. So actually, only four players averaged more than... 20 points per game last season. Bryce Cotton, former NBA player in his own right. And multiple MVP in our league. Oh, yes. Many would say one of the best, if not best, imports we've ever had in our competition. He led the league with 22.6 points per game. Jalen Adams, another former NBA player, led the league in assists per game with 6.1. And the current MVP now after an amazing season. Indeed. And, and again, once you get to fourth or fifth in the league, we're getting to below five assists per game. And then actually not one single player averaged double-figure rebounds. So Xavier Cooks, who I think has NBA aspirations in his own right, and we'll get to him a little bit today too, led the league with 9.8 rebounds per game. But again, once you get down to Robert Franks in fourth position, less than nine rebounds a game. So I think it is important to give that context with stats as well, because people might hear NBL stats and go, oh, that doesn't sound all that good, or we need to give that context. Now, the other important thing is the Next Stars program, isn't it, Stuart? Yeah, so the Next Stars program, for anyone who hasn't seen this, it was launched in the NBL in the 2018-19 season. And the whole idea for this was basically to give international players and a lot of the local players as it sort of developed a real chance to play amongst, I guess, a men's league rather than going across, playing college, playing a completely different system to the NBA as well. Let's mention that. And I think that's a really good point because I remember when we spoke to Alex, it might have been the first time we ever spoke to him years ago when we were talking about the Next Stars program. And he said, this is different to college. Like these guys have mortgages to pay, kids to feed. This is a professional league. It's a tough league. And that's an important context. And, And they're making money. It's a professional league. It is for money. These guys are playing for the next paycheck. That was another thing that Alex did mention was that these guys are playing for the next paycheck and their next contract. Absolutely. Now, one of the the big factors that sort of led to this was the success of Terrence Ferguson. So he came across, played a season with the Adelaide 36ers in 2016-17, and then was drafted in the first round by the Oklahoma City Thunder. Now, his career kind of tailed off fairly quickly. He was pretty decent in the first couple of years, but he's more a G League sort of guy now. I think he's playing overseas, might be in Greece or somewhere like that. But there was that success and they sort of looked at it and said, well, maybe there's a way that we can use this to draw some big name players coming across. And the first season, 2018-19, where they really brought it in, it kind of didn't take off that well. You had Brian Bowen playing for the Kings and he was kind of a guy averaging about 15 minutes a game, put up about six and a half points, three rebounds. Didn't really do that much. But the following- I don't even remember him if I'm honest. I I, I do remember him, but, uh, but yeah, didn't have a huge impact. 2019-20 was the real big one. And this is where the relevance for for people listening in America might really come through. LaMelo Ball was obviously the huge draw card, came over and played for Illawarra Hawks. He was a walking triple-double, you know, 17 points a game, nearly eight rebounds, nearly seven assists a game. And again, when I gave those stats about our leaders in our last season, that's their bloody good numbers for a rookie. Yeah. Oh, the bloody good numbers for a veteran. For anyone, yeah, that's right, right. that's right. Uh, RJ Hampton as well, who's kind of bounced around a couple of teams. I think he's with Orlando now. He was playing with the New Zealand Breakers, so nearly nine points a game, four rebounds. You had Didi Lazada, who I think was with the New Orleans Pelicans for a while. He's, I think he's with Portland now. And then unfortunately, a guy named Terry Armstrong played for the, the Southeast Melbourne Phoenix, didn't really do much. The following year, Josh Giddy, who is obviously a, a high lottery pick for the Oklahoma City Thunder, number six last year. Yeah, and rookie of the month, every month bar one, but then didn't get all rookie first team. We're not dirty about that at all. It's ridiculous. Absolutely <laughs> ridiculous. But again, another one of these guys who really just padded that stat sheet, nearly 11 points a game, seven and a half rebounds, seven and a half assists couple of other guys, Justinian Jessup, who is a Golden State Warrior, kind of officially, I believe. Yeah, yeah, they still hold his rights, yeah. So he's been playing with the Illawarra Hawks for a couple of seasons. Uh, this year, we had a couple of really good ones. So Usman Dieng, who we'll talk about Indeed, in, in, our, yeah. in our show. Yep. He kind of came out of nowhere with the breakers, didn't have a great first half of the season, but really excelled in the back half. And then a couple of other guys, Ariel Huck-Porty, who probably will be fairly... Maybe not high up, but you think... I think he could. there's a very good chance he could be a first-rounder. First round, yeah, yeah, maybe a late first-rounder next year with the Melbourne United team. 
And McCaw Maker as well, another Sydney King who has really, really shown a lot of strength this season. Particularly at the back end and, and did some interesting things in the playoffs too. So yeah, I guess the whole idea, going back to summarise, it is really giving these younger guys an opportunity to play in a men's league and really sort of hone their strength and their skills before they start entering the draft. And there's actually a school of thought, Stewie, that the NBL Next Stars program is so successful that the NBA shut themselves a little bit. And that was kind of the inspiration for creating the NBA G League Ignite. And a lot of people that have watched the draft coverage will know that they'll push their G League Ignite pretty hard. And that's a really great point that you bring up. There were multiple guys drafted this this year from the G League Ignite. You had Dyson Daniels, the Aussie, who was picked number eight in the in the draft. You had Marjan Beauchamp. But I, I'm not sure it's Beauchamp. Surely it's got to be Beauchamp. Like, that's a French name. <laughs> anyway, he, he was drafted 24th. I think there were a couple of second rounders as well. Like Jalen Hardy uh, was, was drafted 37th. So... They're starting to see some real success coming out of out of that team, and and three of them in that draft. There's going to be more of them coming out in the following years as well. I think it's a great initiative. Yeah, another very good pipeline. Now we decided not to ask Alex again about the Next Stars program the last time we spoke to him a few episodes ago, but we did speak to him in episode 38 about it. If you want to go back and hear what he said then, we did, however, speak to Brad Rosen about it, and here's what he said. Oh, fantastic. I mean, it's the brainchild of Jeremy Lalinga, and I think what they've done is phenomenal. I think that's three years in a row now with Den going this year, Giddy the year before, and Melo the year before that. I guess Hugo Besson, you could include in that because he went 58, if I'm not mistaken. So great for the league. It, it is a real stepping stone to go to the next level. It's been proven that, and uh, I think it's a brainchild of, of a very, very clever way of doing it. Pete Hawley also had some interesting comments about the NBL as a feeder league. What I really love for us as, as Australian basketball fans and as NBL fans is a lot of these guys who are maybe on the, on the bubble of getting more workouts or getting a two-way or something like that is NBA teams are trusting NBL as like that kind of like stash program to, okay, well, not just yet, but if you go there and do what we're kind of looking for and build your game there, then who knows what can happen. Maybe the year after we'll, we'll be giving you a call. So I think that's only going to continue to get stronger and stronger in terms of that stash program for the NBL. And I think that's a good thing for everybody involved. So Dyson Daniels was the first Aussie to come off the board at pick number eight to the New Orleans Pelicans. Now we must admit, we probably don't know as much about him as he did choose to go to the G League Ignite over the NBL. But let's start off with what Peter Hawley said about that decision. It's funny you mentioned Dyson there. So funny, when we were 2018 training at MSAC, Giddy and Daniels came for a few trainings throughout that season. And when they first walked in and I was asking like guys like who they were and they were telling me and um, we trained with them and I was just like, it's like, they reckon these guys are going to be, no, there's no chance. I was like, fellas, there's just no way. And yet here they are. So Dyson Daniels, he absolutely, his growth spurt, the way he grew into his body in such a short amount of time is I haven't seen anything like it um, and very, very well reserved, keeps to himself, but has the drive to, to get to where he wants to get to. He's going to be a menace on the defensive end, extremely athletic. Uh, he's tough, he's strong. And NBA teams over the course of the last few months, really 12 months, are absolutely frothing what they can get out of Dyson Daniels. And again, everyone's situation, everyone's pathway is going to be different. He decided to go to the Ignite program and that's what was best for him at the time. And I think that is because of his style, where he's a, that athleticism style of play, that defensive style of play suits him more in the G League to go to the NBA than perhaps it would have in the NBL. It kind of might have got overshadowed a little bit in the NBA. He might have got a little bit lost because that's not his strength. NBL was a completely different style of play. International basketball was a different style of play. So I think for him, he did the best thing for himself. And I think he's going to have a really good uh, career. Hopefully he gets in a good situation like Josh did. Here are Brad Rosen's thoughts. Well, it's interesting because the next uh, guy up will uh, hopefully be Tyrese Proctor. And I'll get to why I'm saying this about Dyson in a second. So Tyrese Proctor is a young Sydney kid that has just signed for Duke. And, um, and he's the next amazing thing. And if all things go well, uh, he'll play this year at Duke and then he'll be in next year's draft or maybe the year after because he's still young. So um, he's the next best thing and he was down and I'm very close with that family and those four championships that you're talking about when I was head coach, Rod, his father, played for me under that. So uh, And Tyrese was just born. So 
the family and the wife Mel and they've got a sister Kayla like I'm very close with the family so he he was in Canberra uh, at the um, Global Academy and Dyson was with him there so that's where I'm getting to that so so I didn't know a lot about Dyson but I do or did a lot through the Proctors and and watching when they came to Sydney and they played I'd go out and watch Tyrese play and then obviously see Dyson and Dyson was another level to Tyrese then because he's a year or two older so he was that that guy coming through where Tyrese will be the next guy so all I remember seeing with Dyson is his length I just thought man this is just NBA ready this is what they're looking for so when you look at the NBA what they want how they do it and you know another very good friend of mine who I roomed with for years Bruce Bolden Jonah Bolden his son NBA body long can shoot um, you know, defense, rebound, blocking, running the show. And, you know, I really liked Hugo Besson. I thought he was really good last year, but he gets 58. Deng, who I honestly believe probably Hugo may have had a better season. Deng goes wherever he goes real early, where you look at Hugo goes 58. This is the length they want these, these NBA teams. So, you know, they're going to take a guy that look at his length, look what he can do. We can get that guy. We can mold him. We've got to pay someone. 15 million. Let's take that guy and see if we can make him the next Josh Giddy, the next, you know, whatever it may be. So, so I, I love when I saw Dyson, I'm thinking to myself, oh, mate, you are going early, you know, like you, you don't, you don't even have to, you know, everyone talks about, oh, I don't know if he's got a shot. And don't, they, they forget that. That'll come. They don't, they don't care. We can make that. You can't, you know, get that length, the athleticism, the defense. So it does not shock me at all that he went eight. If anything, I'm surprised he didn't go early. I thought the Pacers might pick him at six. It's funny you say that because I think a really common thread amongst the Next Stars players and 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 guys like Dyson Daniels is the basketball IQ, just the stuff you can't teach and that kind of toolkit, mm. I guess, for lack of a better phrase. Yeah, and the, the length is yeah. a really interesting thing you say. So he's listed at about six, seven and a half in shoes and about a six, ten and a half wingspan, which is yeah. just massive. And, and it's, yeah, it's going to lead to... And that's why they talk about defender. the defence. He's a defensive stopper. With those arms, you are. Your, your, your wingspan is phenomenal. And, uh, and that's what they love. And, and he's got an engine. Like he's got an engine too. He he runs. He runs the floor. He's a gazelle out there. So, mate, he he will be awesome. Um, and I'm really looking forward to him. Uh, interesting with the Pelicans because they're a team on the rise. Like that, you know, that's going to be good for him because they'll win some games. And I thought they were, you know, they played well against Phoenix. You know, like they got in the play in. Oh, they, they really, really did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if if they can get a healthy Zion, mate, this team's playoff bound and could potentially go deep. Well, defensively, they're going to be insane. I mean, Herb Jones, I thought, was unlucky not to be all defensive second team last Ooh. season. Alvarado yeah, in the backcourt is, is amazing. Um, you've got uh, you've got Lewis coming back off injury. You've got Murphy. Like they've got a lot of those real interchangeable guys. Hundred percent, um, mate. You know, I remember Chris Anstey. There's there's a guy who I thought his shot was okay when he came back from his NBA. It was just dead eye. Like couldn't miss. You know, I don't think if you look at his 96, 97, 98, uh, if it was 98, I can't remember when it was, but those times in the magic, I don't remember him taking a shot as in outside, right? But then he went to the NBA and then he went around the world and was unbelievable. And he came back and won those heap of titles with the Tigers. Mate, his shot was unbelievable. So my point is, I think, you know, they'll only get better. When you, I remember, you know, for me, my, my thing was, I was never that flat-out shooter like a Shane Hill. But the more I shot, the better I got. There's no question about that. And he's going to have that. He's going to have the best tech, you know, the best people around him, the best programs around him. He'll only get better. How bitter are you that the Spurs didn't get him at Norm? <laughs> because I could almost feel the disappointment when he was drafted one pick prior to the Spurs getting him. Yeah, look, as a Spurs fan, I, I kind of talked myself into Daniels and Ziyang, funnily enough. They were two of the guys I was really looking at. I'm fairly happy with the Spurs selections and we will probably look at the broader draft away from the kind of Aussie and NBL players in a future episode. He's pissed for anyone who's listening. No, no, no. I, I think <laughs> no. Sohan will be a decent no, player. I think you'll be, you'll be all right. But, but I do have a lot of faith in Daniels. Now, I've got to say, I haven't watched a lot of his game action. I've seen a couple of his under-19s games and I was really impressed with his court vision. He's kind of like a mini Ben Simmons in many ways, which would scare some people off. But his, his playmaking, his court vision, his, his basketball IQ, 
terrific passer, excellent defender, slightly shorter than than Ben Simmons. But I think, and he has a man's body. He's got an NBA-ready body. So I think he can make an impact right away for the Pelicans. I think he's a great pick for them. So, so yeah, so I haven't seen a lot of his game action more recently, but he's definitely got all the tools and I think he'll be a tremendous player. Well, here's a couple of things that are going to make him really, really dangerous. So he's, he's six, seven and a half roughly in shoes. So decent sort of size, six, ten and a half wingspan. Yep. That is big. Yep. And when you're talking about a team that already has guys like Herb Jones, you know, Jose Alvarado, maybe not quite the same size, but again, that pesky defender. Oh, they'll be defensively very sound, yeah. And, yeah. and again, a lot of those guys that can easily switch on defense. And then you've also got Lewis and Murphy as well, Lewis coming back of an injury. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, that is a team. And Zion finally looking buff too, hey? They could, yeah. they could really jump up, yeah. Yeah, well, that's it. And then again, you've got CJ McCollum, you've got Brandon Ingram. That is a team that is just looking like they could very easily surge. I'm not saying they're going to be championship favorites or anything, but we could start seeing some noise around playoff time with them, which is which is a bit of fun. The good thing about Daniels is that they can play him at point, but they don't have to. So he could very easily play small forward. He could play point forward. And he's a he's a decent three-point shooter too. So you've got his stats there from the G League Ignite. The percentages don't look great, 25%. Right. But the mechanics. Yeah. The mechanics are really impressive. There's a lot of Devin Booker in his release. So I think he'll be okay. And he'll obviously... All he's going to be doing is basically getting into that gym, getting shots up, getting that repetition, really getting used to it. So I think he'll be okay. And I know that uh, Jonathan Giovoni said that he had one of the best pre-draft workouts of anyone, which is why I think he climbed up the board a little bit because I think he was below 10 initially in the projections a few weeks ago. But the other thing is that I heard that he said that he's trying to improve the speed of his release too. So he wants to have a bit of a quicker release to obviously be harder to defend. Yeah, and if you look at some of the guys that are elite, guys like Steph Curry and Clay Thompson, I mean, that's one of the things that makes them almost unguardable is that not only are they great shooters, but they don't take forever to get the shot up. Yeah, yeah. A tenth of a second and that ball's up. Yeah. So, yeah, very, very cool. I think the other thing, though, that I really, really like about him and certainly from what I saw was he's got that really nice little sort of floater push game. So he's getting into the into the lane, got that push shot that, that guys like Derek Rose Guys like Jar Morant's now kind of developing into, I guess, Tony Parker was a guy. Maybe, the, the teardrop. Yeah, maybe going back 15 years. So he's got that really good athleticism to go with it, though. And I think that's where he's going to be quite successful. He'll and be, when you have nearly a seven-foot wingspan, that's hard to defend. <laughs> it is. They're going to have to put bigger guys onto him to stop him from getting that shot up. And the good thing is, as you say, he's got the vision where if that gets blocked off and he gets doubled in the lane... He's going to be Hit able the to corner. Yeah, yeah, CJ in the corner. Yep. That's it. You know, yep. If you've got shooters like CJ out there, then... Whew, Oh, it's a good time to be a Pelicans fan. It is. It really is. Now, Usman Dieng was selected at number 11. He's initially started with the Knicks. They all booed him yeah, there. Yeah, the... chorus of boos. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, I mean, they would have booed anyway. Oh, they always do, especially the internationals. Now, he ended up at your team, the OK City Thunder. Before we get your views, though, he was always one of those guys that had draft buzz even before the start of the NBL season. And this was perhaps best explained by Pete Hawley. When he started the NBL season, I was like, he's a fish out of water. I was like, he's just not ready. And I was like, yes, he's got the young, raw talent, the potential he might get picked up. But even before he had the breakout he did in the NBL season, a lot of people I was talking to, a couple of scouts and draft experts were saying that they'd spoken to some NBA teams and they were like, we don't care if he does nothing in the NBL. We said, if we have two picks in the draft, we're taking him in the second one. They said, he's just got too much potential to pass up. And then the way he turned it on in the second half of the year was a bit was a testament to him, but a testament to Dan Shamir as well for treating him like he had to be treated from the start. He was making mistakes. He didn't look locked in on the defensive end from the early on. And Dan Shamir was ripping him, just a young kid saying, no, it's not good enough. And it kind of made him have to mature quicker as a player. And then after he got that, he got to play through mistakes. And then his game just took over and everyone started to say, hang on. This kid has a potential here because he's so long, he's so athletic, and he's still so raw. You work with all of that, and you can get a really, really good player out of this. So I'm expecting some big things out of him, and it's just going to slowly take time. And now, I mean, America as a whole, they're starting to see that these international young kids coming through, you can have a chance to work with them because they're unique, and their uniqueness is not something you're going to find in America. You're not going to find that type of character, that type of player in America. So I think that's why he's going to be picked as high as potentially he could be. I've actually did, I did a little bit of research today in terms of looking at just how severe the change between the first and the second half. And rounds one to nine, he averaged 3.7 points a game on 23% shooting. 
He had a little bit of a breakout round 10, then he missed uh, rounds 11, 12, and 13. I think he was injured. From then on, though, 12.9 points a game on 51.5%. It's insane that you can change that much from the first half to the back half a year. And I guess I'll follow on from that, Pete. Like, how much of that comes down to his age? Because one of the things for me was people were always knocking him. And, And one of my things was he was a bit timid. He didn't like contact. But people just kept forgetting that he's playing in a man's league and he's only 18 years old. So there's going to be that adjustment. Yeah, there is. And yeah, he's a lot different to, to Basson. I mean, they're similar ages. They both come from France, but Basson has that in his personality already. So I think you could just see from, from Jeng that it was going to take some growth. It was going to take a little while. And to be honest, it might have taken another year had he not been coached the way that Dan Shamir coached him. If you don't hold him accountable and give him no choice but to snap into line in that time when he was struggling at the start of the season, then maybe he does just coast through everything. Maybe he doesn't try and lock in or do anything. So you've got to give credit to both him to buy into it, but also a coach to be able to think, look, I'm doing this to benefit you. You just have to trust me. So I give a lot, a lot of credit to Dan Shamir for the way he did that. Here's what Alex had to say about Dan. Oh, I really, I really like Dan. They, they, they will recruit those taller ball handler bigs as well to, to kind of, for future potential, put size on them. You can't teach someone to be 6'11 and with handles. They're always going to be that, that height. And if he's already got a bit of a skill set along with him, then there's stuff to work with. You know what I mean? Like, so you, they're looking for potential. And I think Dieng has that. And I think he will go quite high. And, and I think he'll be okay. Anyone that sort of raises the eyebrows of Mitch Creek is trying to guard him. And then he does that little step back three thing and dings one on his nose. Creek's like, mm, okay, all right, this guy can sort of, this guy can play. You know, I tried my best here. You know, and it's, it's Creek. Like, this is, this is your, your diesel defender. So I think, I think he got the respect of a lot of guys late in the season um, as he grew in confidence. And of course, Mitch Creek, who Alex referred to there, had a bit of an NBA shot in his own right too. He's he's no slouch. No, he was with the Nets for a little while. And played for the Australian national team too, as he probably will in for years to come. Here's what Brad Rosen had to say. I, I hope I'm wrong, but I just don't know how much he's going to play. I just don't know. I haven't seen enough to make me think he's going to knock someone else off for those large minutes. But I will give him credit because I thought his second half of the year was, okay, maybe he is NBA bound. Because I thought the first half, wow, this is, this is like, they think he's going to go high. I didn't see that. But I could see he'll go high because of his length and high because of what he could get. But if I look at a Dyson Daniels, he's ready to play NBA now, in my opinion. Like that defense, run the lanes, finished and everything. I didn't think that Deng was. But the second half of the year and the way it finished made me think differently. So I, I think it'll be a real interesting year for them because the OKC are a team on the rise as well. I just don't know where he's going to fit in there and play those huge minutes, but I hope I'm wrong. And, and it is interesting. I'm an OKC fan. So for me, I, I thought it was it was kind of interesting picking him up. And, and I think everything you've said there is spot on about the, the way that he sort of turned it around. I think the good thing is that he'll be going into a situation where they're not expecting to win this season. I think mm, maybe mm. one more year. There's a, a, you know, a huge prospect out of France, Victor Wembanyama, who I, I think is probably a consensus number one for the following season. So there may potentially yeah. be one more season of kind of a bit of tanking, I guess, so to speak. And it, it's going to be I just don't know how they can. I don't know how they can tank enough. I think they're too talented. So uh, I agree with you. I, I don't think they're going to go deep or anything like that, but I, I think there'll be teams that are a lot worse than them. But they could still get the lottery, don't get me wrong. But I, I, what I'm saying is I just think they're um, – I, I like them, you know. Like, they've got some winners on their team. and You know, Josh can carry that team as well. But, yeah, you're right. You just never know anyway with injuries and what's going on and people trading and tanking and all those things. But, yeah, he, he's meant to be a, a, a good pick next year, that kid. Now, I've scouted him – a lot over the last week. I've watched a, a few of the old games last week. I, I watched that uh, game between the Wildcats oh. and the New Zealand Breakers where Besson went off. What a classic that was. I, that, that's it. They're great games to watch because you can scout three guys in one game. Tieng, <laughs> Besson and Travers. But I, I'll tell you what, he, he started, he had quite an inauspicious start. It's got to be said. He started very slow. But a couple of things that are important, and he, it was almost a tale of two seasons. And indeed, as you would have heard in that sound clip, we mentioned that to people when we asked the question. But what people need to remember is New Zealand played nearly 10 games before some teams had played even five. And so they had a really front-loaded schedule at the start of the season. He's a young guy. He's an international. He's come to an English-speaking country when he speaks French. 
it's it's a big deal. And they did not play a single game at home. Exactly, like I said at the top. So exactly, they're living out of a hotel in yep. in Melbourne and playing a lot of games in Tasmania yep. and all those other things. So often to empty stadiums. So so is it even any wonder that he had a, a slow start to the season? But the way he came on and some of those performances in the second half of the season were really, really good. Some people are saying he's looking like Paul George or something. Oh, well, it's a bit of a stretch, but he's got the length. He's going to be terrible in the playoffs. Well, well, he's got the length. He's, he's, he's got the tools to be a really good defender. He can hit the three. Initially, a lot of my knocks on him, and I think this might be in the clip with Pete as well, was that I felt he was a bit timid. He was kind of avoiding contact a little bit. But by the end of the season, he was taking it to the rack. He was taking it inside. And so he had that more balanced game. So I've really, I'm actually a big fan of his now. And I think he could turn out to be one of the best players in the draft when all said and done. Look, the big thing really was the shot selection early on. As you say, he didn't want to go to the rack. So I think often he was settling threes. Yeah. A lot of yeah, step backs off balance sort of stuff that just wasn't in his game. As you say, it, it was probably one of the biggest 180s I've seen within a season, probably in the history of watching the NBL for, for me, definitely. Like going from a guy who just yeah looked like he didn't even belong in the NBL to a guy who all of a sudden you're thinking, all right, he could actually be a pretty handy role player. And look, I must admit, I'm not disappointed that we traded for him. Oh, I think I think it's a good trade. I think he's got a good handle. He's got great length. He's one of those modern NBA players, guys that are a bit taller than the traditional shooting guards, but does have range, has giant wingspan, can be a menace in the passing lanes. And a lot of my knocks on him are are not things that are insurmountable. So he can fall asleep on defense at times. He can fail to block out at times. These are things that can be ironed out. These aren't big issues. But here's the thing. If he falls asleep on defense and someone cuts back door on him, who's going to be waiting for him? The number two pick in the draft, Chet, Chet Holmgren, who's <laughs> exactly, got like yes. a seven-foot friggin' 26 <laughs> yeah. wingspan. <laughs> yes. The other things you were sort of saying as well is, you know, I guess in sort of talking about the team that he's going to, he's going to be playing with a pass-first point guard in Josh Giddy, a guy who would oh, absolutely. be way, way happier to have 15 assists than 15 points. Definitely, definitely. So I think that's why that team is going to be so great for him. He's going to a team that has a really young nucleus. They've got that sort of hybrid leader, I guess, in Shea Gilgis-Alexander, who's about 25, maybe have a couple of guys on the bench who are a little bit older. But I think for the most part, this is a team that can grow together. And absolutely, Dieng should be a really nice piece on that. And hopefully Gideon Dieng can bond over their joint experience in the NBL, albeit with different teams and in different seasons. But they already have a bit of other stuff to relate to too. Yeah. Uh, gee, I think that French team could be pretty scary in a few right. years. Yeah, you're all right. Yeah. And just going back to the NBL Next Stars program, so Dieng became the third player in three successive years to be drafted as an NBA lottery pick, i.e. the top 14 selections. Joining Giddy, of course, pick six last year, LaMelo Ball, as you mentioned, and he's also the sixth Next Star to progress to the NBA, as you mentioned with those other guys. So Luke Travis, 56 overall to the Cleveland Cavaliers, right at the end of the draft. Don't look so smug, Nathan. Oh, look, yes, I've always been bigger on him. So obviously as Perth fans, we've seen him a hell of a lot. We've seen him in game situations. I've probably missed, what, two games in three seasons, maybe a couple of blowout losses that I I didn't go back to after the fact. Anyway, I've seen a lot of Luke Travers. I like what he has to offer. In the early days, there was draft buzz for him when he was a development player and we're kind of like, oh, we don't see it. And I know I keep coming back to this and our regular listeners will, will have heard this story a couple of times. But that game three semi-final against Illawarra that you were at. I was at, yeah. And particularly grabbing that rebound, taking it the length of the floor and jamming it and having the presence of mind and the balls and and just the guts to go and do that. Like the easy decision would have been to slow it down and work for a shot. He saw an opportunity. So that's one of the things I really like about Travis is his basketball IQ. And it comes back to those things that can't be taught. And that's one of the major reasons why I always had a lot of faith in him. Here are Pete Hawley's thoughts. Travis is one that I think last year was great for him because he really put himself on the map in terms of what he can bring to a game. And I, I said this on a, on a chat a few months ago. I was like, if you look at what he does in the NBL, he can really influence a game the exact same way as Giddy did in the NBL, but the opposite way in doing it in terms of on the defensive end without the ball necessarily or with the ball, getting on the glass and getting out and pushing. Josh has the ball in his hands to create, but 
what Luke Travis does off the ball and away from the ball is something, again, it's something you can't teach. His core vision, his awareness of where to be, where to put his strengths is what started to catch some NBA scouts' eyes. And I think him just having a little taste over there recently uh, hopefully could help and he can continue to grow. And if he gets that, he's going to have to have obviously another big year in the NBA, but he's got those tools to do it. He just needs that more consistent effort. Everyone keeps talking about his shot, which I'm sure is going to come because he's putting in the work and we start to see little bits of it. He's never going to have to be a guy who averages 15 points in the NBL. I think he's going to, he's, his asset comes in a lot more other ways than doing that. So hopefully, that I would love to see him. I'd love to see young Aussies getting the chance to, to see it because even I feel lucky to have gone to college when I did because college was even still a big pathway at the time. I mean, Delhi and Patty had done it, but it was still pretty quiet. So I feel like now the NBA pathway has grown a lot bigger. Um, NBL has helped that as well. So I think Travis will definitely get chances uh, in the future, and I can't wait to see that happen. I guess the other reason for me that I was so high on Travis was because he does seem to be the sort of player that NBA teams are looking for nowadays. I don't necessarily think he would have been drafted 10 years ago, maybe not even five or two or three, but increasingly teams are wanting long athletic guys who can handle the ball and play D. And if your secondary ball handlers have that high basketball IQ, you're laughing. I remember a play from that Perth, New Zealand game I keep bringing up in this episode where he grabbed a rebound and passed to, I think it was Jesse Wagstaff, cutting under the basket for an easy layup. And he did it all in one motion. It was almost like a little volleyball set. And not all players have the presence of mind to grab a rebound and make an assist all in one play. You can't necessarily teach those sort of instincts. I think teams nowadays seem to be pretty confident that they can fix a guy's shot, but they'll still pick him if he has all of the other tools. This seemed to be Brad Rosen's tack, where he focused on what Luke Travis could do rather than what he couldn't, and he also spoke to the benefits of good character and why some teams like Aussie players. So there was a bit of a wait for the other prospects as we kind of fast forward through to the second round. And it'll be interesting to hear your thoughts on the draft and stash scenarios too, actually. But the Cavs took Luke Travers at 56 overall. I was always a bit bigger on him than many. And it was mainly due to, I think, his kind of Swiss Army life-like abilities. What are your insights mm. on Travers, Brad? It's interesting, you know, I hear people, you know, I don't know what it is about something. It's just, people just want to knock people down. You know what I mean? Like, oh, he hasn't got this and he hasn't got that and he hasn't got... Mate, tell me a guy in the NBA, don't get me wrong, we're not talking LeBrons here and, you know, Steph Currys, but tell me people that don't have something that you wish you had. You know, I mean, everyone's got, you know, if it, no matter what it was, you know, with Josh Giddy, it was like, oh, he doesn't have the shot. Well, look at the way he shot. He had a great year, you know, like and with Dyson Daniel, he doesn't have that. With Mello, his shot's broken. Well, I'll take a shot that's broken like that in the NBA, thanks. <laughs> I'm cool with it, you know, like, so So when I look at it, Luke Travis, yeah, his shot is, is, is not NBA shot. But I also say that if his shot was in the NBA, he wouldn't be in Perth, guys. He'd be on 150 million. Right. So so we also have to appreciate the fact that we get guys like Luke Travis in this league. So so I do think he's got a lot to go. But in saying that, I think he's a great pick. Mate, you, you know, you look at this guy, his length, he's got that. And I, I watched an interview where he's like, you know, we're Australian. We play hard. So he's got that ticker. He's got that engine. He's got what he's gotten. And now it's just up to him. You take him. And they did. So he goes to Cleveland and, and, you know, like, it's like, well, this is great. Let's see what we can get out of this kid. Maybe, maybe something will go good. So I like it. I think it's a good pick. And I think it's a smart GM because you've got to take someone. And whilst he may not be NBA ready right now, take that chance because he could be. I might hone in on that a little bit too. And it will be interesting to see if obviously Matty Nielsen's done a lot of work over in the States. And I don't know if you talked to mm. him about this sort of stuff, but you wonder mm. sometimes if teams like the internationals, because often they're a bit more humble. They might, I don't know, they might be like, how important is the character issue stuff and, and guys that are maybe going to fit into a team chemistry wise and, and oh. not be a, a difficulty for the coach because of their ego? Oh, the first thing, right? You, you talk to any scout that comes out, that they, they're here to watch a player, so they don't care about what he can do on the court. Of course they do, but what I'm saying, tell me about how he trains. Is he any problems? Did he show up to every training? What's his family like? Has he had any issues? What was his upbringing? That, that's what they want to know, right? There is no question that's what they want to know. We haven't got time. Unless your name's Steph Curry, I, I want to know what's going on, right? And we do not have time for a young kid to be a problem. You know, we, we've got 170 million we're paying players. I don't want to pay this kid two million that, you know, a Steph Curry is going to come up going, what, what the hell is this kid doing? 
You know, like I'm using, I'm being extravagant here. Uh, I'm not suggesting a Steph Curry will do that. But what I'm saying is it is massive. Everyone wants good people. And to our credit, we've gone from what, one Australian now to what, 18 in the league? I don't know, our 38th person going into the league, but I'm saying 18 at the moment or however many we've got. They love us. Why? Because, excuse the language, no shit. We just <laughs> don't bring crap, you know, like this. Just, it's like that, you know, I love the Sydney Swans policy, no dickheads. That's what the Sydney Swans, you know, Paul um, Ruse brought that in. You know, the Bloods, no dickheads. This is what we want. That's what NBA teams want. They want a guy, and I thought the best one that did that was Della Vadova. He didn't care what happened. I don't care if everyone hates me, I'm all team. And, you know, you look at when they won that championship or even the year before when they lost it but went deep and Delhi had that great series, What you know, and what does LeBron say? Everyone needs a Delhi on their team. You know, so that's true. phenomenal. And that Cavs connection is pretty cool too. Another player in Cleveland. So it's funny. Yeah. We've got we've got OKC connections. We've got Cavs connections. Obviously, the Spurs have an Aussie connection. It's really funny how yeah. certain teams have that kind of almost like the colleges. We talked about that with Halls the other week. How certain colleges? Yeah. It's actually a good recruiting tactic to pick a country 100%. and try and, and mine their a, talent. I don't. I don't think it's a coincidence because I think yes, we like that. You know, like San Antonio does have that Australian connection that goes back to Brett Brown being there. And it is great as well, I guess. Like, I must admit, I'm one who, over the course of the season, I haven't been particularly high on Travers. And, and I think this situation is absolutely perfect for him. Again, it's another one with a really young nucleus with Colin Sexton and Darius Garland. And you've got Evan Mobley and, and Isaac Okoro at that position, that was similar sort of position to what, mm. I guess, Travers will be mm. playing. Getting him into that that nucleus that is, again, all in sort of that, that early 20s, I don't yeah. think you could probably ask for a better a better spot for him to land, really. A great thing. He hasn't got the pressure now where he has to be over there and perform because, you know, maybe he's not ready for that, not suggesting he is or isn't. But what I'm saying is, is now, righto, you've done what you've had to do. You got drafted, mate. Well done, right? You're not ready. Now go and do maybe like Justinian Jessup done, Thriller Warrior. Go spend a year or even, you know, like guys that have come down and, you know, Didi Lazada for the king. All right, we, we know you. We see what you can do. You've got talent. Just go, go play. Go and do another season. Let me watch you. And now maybe the pressure is off Travis. And Travis can be that next guy like, thank God I got drafted. It's over. Now just let me play. I love it. I still almost don't believe that he got drafted. It's, it's, <laughs> it's crazy. So obviously there are things about him that work so much in his favour. So the height, he's you know, nearly six foot eight. Six foot ten wingspan. Yep. So we know what he can do defensively. He's really good at shooting the gap. He's actually a guy that averages more steals than blocks a game, but yep. he's also a guy that can come across and erase shots as maybe a weak side defender. Definitely. So he yep. does have a lot of that going for him. Look, we know what the knock is. We know at the moment it's the shot. Yeah, so offensively, he's got a decent but not great handle. He's got very good court vision, good court IQ, as I say, very good passer, but the shot is the issue. The, yeah. the, the shot is definitely an issue at the moment. So 25% three-point shooter on probably more than he should have taken last season. I think there was probably comments from his uh, agent to, to maybe get a few up yeah. Yeah. <laughs> for the draft. Yeah. But having said that, I think the situation in Cleveland is absolutely perfect. I don't think he could have asked for a better team, quite frankly, in terms of getting that really young nucleus of guys that are you know, kind of almost a little bit heady beyond their years. So like Evan Mobley, didn't play like a rookie last year. No, definitely not. Darius Garland didn't play like a guy in, what, his second year? Colin Sexton's been out injured, but even when he was sort of in his first two years, didn't really look like a guy who'd just come out of college. Like, So these guys are, are really, really good players. You've still got Kevin Love. You've still got Seti Osman. So they've, they've got a lot of guys there that can kind of welcome him in. And I think what I like about it is that you've got someone like Isaac Okoro, who is a very similar player. No, you're right. There is some crossover with the kind of length and athleticism. He, he's kind of got that sneaky athleticism. I think some people don't give his athleticism enough credit. A Coro, no, nah, he'll like. Oh no, I meant Travis. Actually, oh, well, yeah, yeah, both, yeah, both but, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. Coro is like I've, I mean, he, he's dunked on four guys in one play. Oh yeah, yeah. There's no doubt his um, athleticism. Yeah. But, but yeah, I think Travis is a guy who will surprise people. He'll he'll dunk on someone, and everyone will be like, "Whoa, shit! Like, where did that come from?" So. 
Look, I think the only thing is we do have to potentially temper the expectations a little bit in terms of the position that he's been drafted in. Oh, yeah, sure. I think I think his workouts were a major reason why he was probably selected. He apparently did really well in the workouts, and this is playing against his peers, people of a similar age rather than in a man's league in the NBL. I think he'll probably be another draft and stash. I think there's a very good chance he'll play one more year here in Perth at the Wildcats, or maybe they'll send him to the G League. But I think that's actually going to work in his favour because... He had Trevor Gleeson as his coach, one of the greatest in NBL history. He is now over in Toronto. He's now had Scott Morrison, who had that NBA background, obviously, with, with Boston as an assistant. He'll probably have another coach this year. I think it's good for his development to have had a few different voices, a few different coaches over a few different years. So I think I think there, there are some good things there. Hopefully, I think he just needs the opportunity. And I think if he gets that opportunity, I think there's a decent chance he could take it. Now, you have crunched the numbers with yeah. late picks. Though, and, so. and this is the thing that you, it's very interesting that you say the opportunity, because if you look back, so 1995 was the first draft when the draft was expanded past 54 picks. I say that it used to be way back in the day, you'd have like eight or nine rounds, but they they cut it. Yes, Carl Lewis was drafted by the Chicago Bulls in like the eighth, eighth round, round or something. Yeah. Yeah. Ridiculous. But yeah, since 1995, the average amount of games played by guys drafted 56 is less than 112. So you're talking less than a season and a half. Yeah. Now, there are three outliers in there. So Luis Scola, who had a very, very decorated career, mostly with the Houston Rockets. Won a gold medal with Argentina and Manu, of course. Yep. You had Ramon Sessions, who was always a really handy backup with you know, the Lakers and Charlotte. Milwaukee, Milwaukee. Yep. You had Amir Johnson, serviceable backup, mostly for like Boston, Philly, those sorts of teams. They all played over 600 games. Now, if you take those three out, the average drops to less than 30. Yeah. So there It's are, an uphill battle. It yeah, is, yeah. There's, a, there's a ton of guys who never even played a game. There's a ton of guys who played less than 30. So it's, uh, yeah, he's definitely got his work cut out for him, but the mindset is probably favorable. Now, Stewie, when it comes to Hugo Besson, we've got to start with Alex's story, don't we? What a crack. We do. Might be unpopular opinion, but I almost have my doubts about Besson. I think he was too casual, Cat. I think he was a talent, but I, I just don't think, I think there's a dime a dozen of those guys that are, pretty silky offensively without too much like crazy athleticism. I think at his at his height and in his position, he's going to have to be super athletic. I don't know how much taller Basson will, will get, even though he's got the handle. <laughs> Look at some of those point guards out there. Like the, the guys, um, for instance, Trey at, at Atlanta, like you see how crafty they are, how fast they are. Like Basson's going to have to guard guys like that. He's going to have to guard guys like Lamelo Ball and all those kind of guys. Like I, I just don't quite see the that marrying up i hope he proves me wrong but i i just feel like there's guys and the, there's a lot of those guys trying out for the nba or on the on the fringe of teams in the nba already that would sort of be chosen ahead of him purely because you got the handles okay well now what's the athletic side of things uh okay it's, it's okay it's not fantastic but we'll see what sort of shakes Basson's not short of confidence as well. I spoke to Dan Shamir before one of the games, and he's like, "Shamir's real funny, man." <laughs> he he goes, "I tried to uh, I tried to get Basson to look at some plays uh, from Euroleague stars, you know, guys you want to emulate." And Basson said to me, "Because coach, I don't need to I don't need to watch that. I, I'm I I just come out here to play." And like Shamir's <laughs> like, "Hang on a minute, like I'm trying to trying to add some some feathers in your cap here. I'm trying to teach you how to be a pro, right?" And he's saying, I, got, I need you to look at this superstar who's on probably two or three million in EuroLeague. I need you to look at him because I want you to be like him. And Basson's like, nah, I'm good. <laughs> wow. And Shamir goes, but you know what? This is, this is a young guy, a rookie, telling me. I, he doesn't need to see it. He says, I love that. I love the confidence <laughs> of someone like that. And I'm like, that's pretty cool. That's a pretty cool story. You know, like he- That's a great story. Uh, he, he, loved, he just loved the swagger of the guy. So, I mean, maybe he's- maybe. Maybe is he such a he's what is he nineteen? Like maybe that side of things is what they're looking at because they they get really specific in the NBA when they when they pick someone. It's not their all round skill. It's something very very specific and uh, what they bring to the table. Here's what Pete Hooley had to say on Hugo Basson. From when I met them both in the preseason, uh, he he's all his confidence is there. Uh, I mean his first closed door scrimmage apparently against Phoenix Basson tried to dunk on Joe Chi and then did it in the preseason. Um, so that confidence was already there. 
Now, you mentioned Besson as the other New Zealand breaker who obviously has those aspirations. Is it just me or does he kind of give off a little bit of a, like a poor man's Bogdan Bogdanovich? Oh, I've been saying it for months. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, it's a it's a pretty good comparison, the way that uh, Bogdanovich goes around it and, and Besson, he's is so unassuming. You look at him walking around, getting on the floor, you, you don't assume the way he goes about it. No surprise, he was Andrew Gaze's favourite guy to call. Love when he got when he heated up. And when I spoke to him in media day early on, I kind of got the sense that his confidence was there. And then I talked to Finn Delaney and Abercrombie and they were like, man, he's a straight killer. And I kind of looked, I was like, He's pretty little, and I was like, "You, what are you like? You, you for real? Like, he's he's going to be able to do." And you could kind of sense it. It took a while for his shot to to start to drop, and another one to to adjust. But you started to see what he could potentially take take over in in a similar kind of Bogdanovich role. He's not going to be the long athleticism. He's going to have to have that tight handle. He's going to have to be able to be a little stronger to be able to to, to get past those stronger guys and work on that. But the the raw skill set of his is is already a lot better than where Jeng's at. Uh, he's just now got to build his body a bit more and, and work on that. But another really, really exciting prospect because French kid, again, a different kind of head on his shoulders to come into the NBA and, and hopefully do really good things. And for those that don't know, by the way, Joe Chi is seven foot one and no slouch as a rim protector. So that story about dunking on Joe Chi is a big one. Hmm. Brad Rosen also had some interesting comments. So I guess finally to complete the draft, we had Hugo Besson going to Indiana at pick 58. Were you surprised that he slid that far? And what's interesting in talking to Alex Loughton and Pete Hawley over the last few weeks, it seems that his greatest strength may actually also be his greatest weakness, ridiculous confidence. Yeah, look, I, I liked him and I thought he would have a long career in the NBL, but you know that's not obviously the focus that he wanted. I didn't think um, he would be a higher pick than where he was. And the only reason I say that is that length that I spoke about before. There, there's unfortunately a crap load of players that can shoot the ball like him over there. So, um, and you know, you look at the league now, I mean, you know, I keep coming back to Dyson. Dyson can guard the one to four, you know, like so. And when you and when you look at Besson, he's he sort of that, uh, a little bit like Justinian Jessup, I guess, to a degree, you're that player, you know, you can do this. That's what we get you. If we're going to put you in your team, that's what we're going to get out of you. Where they seem to go for different, you know, like Besson and, and, and like Dyson, where you can do it all, right? And so I didn't expect him to go high um, and probably maybe a little bit higher than he did. But I thought, you know, late second round is, is where I'd suggested. And now, you know, it's up to them where they send him. Uh, if I use... Um, uh, uh, Bruce Bolden's boy, Jonah. Uh, Jonah went late, well, 36, I think it was, to Philly. And then they sent him to Maccabi Tel Aviv over in Tel Aviv. You know, that was a good thing. We want you over there for one or two years. Go do your thing. And he did and made the roster. And, you know, that's what the guys like Besson and Travers, they need to now do. And it is an interesting sort of fit as well, because after he was drafted by Indiana, they traded him to Milwaukee. So, potentially has that option i guess if he does get over there he may have a few years i guess sitting out on the wing getting ready for kickouts from Giannis and <laughs> and you know doing what he does which is shooting the ball and he could and that and that is not an underestimate you know like that's when you say to yourself right that's what we need because we've got that you know Giannis is a freak right so we need that guy that's just a flat out shooter you know you you're Ray Allen's, you know, these are the world. And um, yeah, I think it's great. So here's another guy I was really big on, Stewie. I remember in the preseason, there was two back-to-back -back plays where he hit a corner three and then dunked on a guy. And I was kind of smitten with his abilities really early. I think Brad Rosen's comments about his length and, and Alex wasn't huge on him either. So maybe they had a better read than me. I, I, I mean, we've talked about it a few times. The the Bogdanovich comparisons are, are one that kind of were glaring to me. What do you make of Besson? What do you think his chances are? Do you know the thing that surprised me was actually looking at his stats in, you know, you kind of, like, you, you expect him to be a really high percentage shooter, but the, in actuality, 38.5% from the field, 30% from three. He let them fly. He it, really did. He had, yeah. he had a green light to just shoot threes whenever he wanted and he had range there was that game so I rewatched that game against the Wildcats where he had I think it was 17 in a quarter and I think he had 37 for the game by the way this is a game where he came in with less than two minutes left in the first mm. 
So, so he's capable of, he's a bit of a microwave, but you're right. A bit of a volume shooter. And obviously that's not going to happen in the NBA. So he has to pick his moments. But I also think going into that situation where he's playing with someone like Giannis, who is always going to be in the MVP race, basically like he's, He's a guy who is looking for shooters. He's looking for guys like Pat Connaughton, Dante DiVincenzo before they traded him away. So, yeah, he's needing those guys who can stretch the floor, can hit threes. That's what Milwaukee is. They're a volume three-point shooting team. So he's almost a perfect guy for for that sort of of team, really. So I think there's a potential he could be a real steal in this draft. Look, he may not get an opportunity the first year. He may be another guy who has to sort of work for a couple of years, but again, he's only 21. Yeah. So he's not that young. Uh, sorry. So he's not that old. He's still got plenty of time up his sleeve. And yeah, I think the time in New Zealand, just like with Usman Dieng has probably galvanized him into a pretty tough guy in terms of having to spend so much time out of hotels and suitcases and stuff. Wouldn't have been fun. How's this? He didn't really speak English before he came here. So not only did he go to the other side of the world, to play for a team that didn't play one single home game, he had to learn the language on the fly. As I said, they had a front-loaded schedule, New Zealand, where they played 10 games before any other team. So, and the COVID stuff, I mean, the resilience. So I think there are a lot of things there that work in his favour. His dad was a pro player, so he's got that pedigree, much like Josh Giddy. It helps when your father played professionally. Mm. Uh, he played from a really young age. So, so there is a lot that excites me about Besson. I do think he has the potential to actually be one of the top 15, 20 best players in the draft when all said and done. And if we cut, go back in many years and redraft this draft, I think he's got potential. But I also think he may never play a game in the league. He, he's one that could really go either way, I feel yeah, like. yeah, Absolutely. And one thing I did just want to quickly mention as well, like when you, when you look at, I guess, the start of the season versus the end as he kind of trailed off, it's no surprise that Jeremiah Martin leaving kind of put a lot more pressure on him. Yanni Wetzel leaving towards the end as well. Like, there was so much stuff going on in that New Zealand team. And-, and they weren't winning games. They weren't finals bound. So it was an interesting situation and a really tricky situation. I think he handled himself well. I think he did, yeah. Yeah. So we've got to talk about the people's MVP, Stewie, the Filipino giant Kai Soto. We're both quite big fans of his. I tweeted on the day with only a few picks left. If I'm a GM, I pick this guy because of his potential. I think in the second round, you swing for the fences and you try and get a guy. I mean, there's always good players that go undrafted. And if I was a GM and I had a late second round pick, you don't have to pay them, but you ha- you get their rights. And, and I would have swung for the fences and, tr- and tried to get a guy like Soto. And if it works, great. And if it doesn't work, okay, that's fine. But a guy with Kristaps Porzingis kind of skills, I'm a little surprised. Now, we talked about the fact that he probably should have withdrawn and declared next season with Brad, and we'll mention that in a moment. But I'm a bit disappointed he didn't get drafted, and and it'll be really interesting to see what happens with him. Well, look, seven foot three, seven foot five wingspan. You can't teach that. He, and he's got range. He shot nearly 40% yep. from three over the course of the season, which is a very, very good percentage. So, yeah, I, I must admit, I don't understand why someone wouldn't have taken a flyer on him and just said, well, he's already got a pretty solid body for a guy of his age. There's, yeah, I, th- I think there's a team out there that could use someone of his size as a backup. And he's still raw. There's still a lot to work with. Peter Hawley didn't think Kai Soto would be in the NBA next season, but he did see the potential. Yeah, I don't think it'll probably happen this year, uh, especially Kai Soto. I mean, he's got a chance to, to come back and hopefully get um, more development, more opportunity. Another one who's got raw talent, you can see it, his length is every, everything there and just has to keep working with coaching. So I think he's in America now, back, might be back at the skills factory in Georgia doing some stuff there. But another one who he's got the the tools, he just, he's just got to get the craft, he's got to get the reps. So I think a blessing in disguise for him last year was Cam Besto getting hurt and Isaac Humphreys because he got that opportunity to play in the NBL. Fred Rosen also had some interesting comments. Uh, people also have to realise that other players have done it the hard way, like a Paddy Mills, Joe Ingles, Yellow Vadova. It doesn't matter if you don't get drafted, right? It doesn't matter because it's a lottery and that's what they that's what it is. People get it right, people get it wrong, but there are other ways to go around it. So so I feel it'll be interesting to see how Kai Soto, I agree with you that he probably should have waited another year and it would have been interesting to see him come back if he does still with Adelaide. It would be good to see him do what they do, especially after they've tooled up this year now in the off season. 
Before we asked Peter Hawley and then Brad Rosen on their thoughts on the best of the rest, we asked them about Makua Maker. First, here's Pete Hawley. Now, um, you mentioned before you're an OKC fan, or you certainly liked OKC growing up. I'm actually an OKC fan myself, which is great. One of the guys actually who has been doing a pre-draft workout with OKC is McCaw Maker. What are your thoughts on him? Yeah, Maker. I mean, I mean, OKC. Uh, I did enjoy OKC. Uh, at, I'm a Brooklyn Nets fan. I, I must say, so we won't talk about any of that because still very frustrating. Um, <laughs> yeah, Maker. He he shot on to the scene with, with more opportunity. Was injured for a little bit, but started to gain Chase Buchan's trust down down the back end of the season. Another another unique skill set. If you're a big get up and down the floor. But if you can knock down the shot from outside at a high rate, you're going to get opportunities. We're seeing that more and more. And I was listening to KD on JJ Reddick's podcast talking about like kind of the death of the power forward in the NBA. And it's kind of like, well, everyone now, you, you they want, you want to be, you need to be able to shoot the three. You look at the best centers in the league are knocking down the three at a high rate. So I don't think you'd be a center in the NBA, but just another one that the teams have a look at it. Like, what what can we work with? We're not obviously got nothing that we can throw out there just yet. But what do we have potentially to be able to work with? Here's what Brad said: Maker from the Kings. He really did a great job towards the back end of the season. I was just concerned that it wasn't enough. Probably would have wanted to see that throughout the whole season. But I feel Maker's probably the next one that is ready. Uh, he's got that big body, uh, can shoot the three, and the length thing again. As we got towards the end of the interview with Peter Hawley, we asked him about who else he thought had realistic NBA prospects. So I guess, Pete, anyone else that you think, I mean, obviously Xavier Cooks had a triple-double in the NZ NBL on 28 minutes on 75% shooting or something. Like there's Jack White, there's a few other guys, JLA, there's a few, Justinian, Jessup. Who, who else do you think has a real legit shot in the existing NBL? Well, certainly from last season anyway. Yeah, uh, it's a good question. There's, I feel like there's a, there's a, there's a couple. Um, I mean, Xavier Cooks is, is unique. Jack White, obviously another one. Um, he might be playing some summer league. An interesting prospect. Probably not. You you wouldn't say just yet. Robert Franks, Vic Law, two names that I was hearing that would potentially have been having opportunities after having some some pretty good pretty good seasons. Jessup, uh, I'm not sure what will happen with him in terms of you look at Golden State as their, their makeup. I mean, they love shooters, so you never know of if they if they like the idea of having that in, the, in their roster. Unfortunately, as you, you being an OKC fan, would understand that you can never write anything off because Sam Presti might just decide to recruit all of these ra- random people, all these random youngsters, and it's just what Sam Presti is a genius at building things into. So I can you can never actually say that anything is off the table. In terms of other, other guys uh, around, I'm not sure there's any uh, potential... The I know Chris had his Golden State workout last year. You probably think he's a, he's a, a year um, a bit too far beyond that now. Um, the imports are the ones. Xavier Cooks, obviously, of Vasilevich, I believe, is going to go over to Summer League. He's got the confidence to, to go out there and do a lot of good things. Yeah, I'm not sure if there's anyone else from last Bull season. Kowal is, he, Bull Kowal has been invited to the Chicago, Chicago Summer League team. Yeah, again, it's the summer league stuff to be able to start and getting that taste. That you just you you want to get your name out there. You want to get your your picture out there, not just your name of okay. Well, we're seeing this guy. But let's maybe he pops up again next year where he goes back to Cairns and, and really puts on a show. Then that maybe that one NBA exec or someone sitting there being like, oh, I remember him. He was playing. Maybe he didn't didn't play or how much plays the summer league, but. Just to get out there and, and get that done is something that could benefit a lot. I think Xavier Cooks will probably get a chance, I would say, with someone. I don't think he's going to someone. I think he came out and said he doesn't want to do that because he's done it before. And if a team wants him for a two-way or whatever, then he'll be ready for that. I, I would say with I think he's a, a Moldovan um, player that he'll have the connection, the opportunity. I think something will come up at some point for, for Xavier Cooks. He's probably the biggest front runner. And, and I guess maybe not so much next year, but uh, the year after, I'd imagine Ariel Huckporty will probably be on everyone's radars as an absolute beast. I'm surprised he withdrew. I thought he was a decent chance. It's funny you say, I thought the same thing. I think a lot of people did. The way he grew over the course of the season was incredible. Uh, again, you talk about giving credit to Dan Schmidt, credit Dean Vickerman for what he did with Huckporty. But talking to some of the NBA draft experts and scouts, they they still weren't completely sold on him potentially getting drafted where he, or maybe where he, he wanted to be. So for him to have the confidence in himself and the confidence in NBL and Melbourne to say, look, I'll, I'll come back then and, and grow my game and go from maybe a, a second round pick to I'll, I'll be a first round pick. Cause 
let's be honest, what we've seen of him, there's no reason why another strong season in the NBL development-wise where he, he's not a, a good, a hard first-round pick. He's got every single tool there is, the athleticism, his body's already there. He's just got to work on his aerobic capacity, obviously a little bit, a little bit of touch, but there's not too many prospects that look like him at his age. So it, it'll, a lot of it, I guess, will depend on what happens with Luala Chul, uh, if he gets a two-way or, or some sort of deal, because... I would envision that conversation would have gone down. Look, we're, we're expecting maybe Joe isn't here, so you can be our starting five. Or if Joe is here, you, should, you play a similar role. We'll play you more together or something like that. But great for the league and hopefully it turns out really great for him. We took a similar approach with Brad Rosen at the end of the draft portion of our interview with him because we wanted to see who immediately came to his mind instead of throwing too many names at him. You know, another one who I, I really like is Duop Reek. There's maybe one guy, but Zave, I mean, his year was ridiculous, unbelievable. And uh, what, what he did was outstanding. I love the fact that he's just signed a three-year deal with the only thing as an NBA clause. Can he play in NBA? Yes, he can. Why? Because he is just a flat-out Rodman rebounder. Yes. The way he plays, his energy, he's unbelievable. But it's a tough ask because he's going to, you know, it's not his game to pull up and jack a three. That's not what he's going to ask. So he's going to have to guard the 7-2, 7-3 guys. And if I call it probably a little bit like that Mitch Creek role, where there's just so many of them over there. And I think it would be a tough ask, but what will get him in front of everyone else is his energy and his guts and his engine. He, he will get noticed, no question. See, what I actually really enjoyed with him over the last few seasons, uh, it takes me back to someone like a David Stiff, where they get around the basket and they've got all of those moves and the, the footwork that kind of makes them really difficult to guard. And one of the previous episodes where we were talking about the grand final series, he was fouled, I think, something like 22 or 23 times over the three mm. games because guys mm. just, they don't know which way he's going. Yeah, he's so ambidextrous type thing, isn't he? And Stiffy was unbelievable the way he did it. I agree with you, and it's a good analogy. And, um, and I, I still think we've got the best to see from Zave. You know, like he's still young, man. You know, like, I mean, he, he sort of got that injury and, and, and really this is his first real year that he's had and look how good it was. So, so there's so many good things to come for him. I, I just don't know. I hope I'm wrong, but I just can't see him making the NBA this season. Um, and I think he'll come back to the NBL and dominate. Uh, and if he can get through that again, you just never know. All right, sure you know what that music means. Final thoughts time. Well, another year, another very interesting NBA draft. And look, a great year for the NBL and the, Absolutely. the, the prospects coming out of there. Indeed. Some great stories from Usman Dieng to Luke Travers and Hugo Besson. Oh, that Alex story. Classic. Absolutely classic. And look, so many great opportunities for these guys in so many unique situations in the NBA. So really looking forward to seeing what they can do. We hope you enjoyed this show. We hope that it's provided you some information that you maybe haven't received from YouTube scouting videos or people who aren't in our great country. Listen in next week for Brad Rosen. Until then, I'm Nate. And I'm Stu. We are the Sportplex.